Yeah, that was weird. Weird. Well, huh? you know, it's I, I tend to have that effect on things. You know, <laughs> you're breaking our tape machine here, Leland. I'm so yeah. sorry about that. So, where are you guys located? Uh, I'm in Montreal. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, we're in Montreal. Where are you at today? Are you in the West Coast? I'm in or? Los Angeles, Pasadena. Actually. Hello, Pasadena, the home of Van Halen. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of people that were from around here. Joe Zavanaugh lived in Pasadena. There's a whole bunch of different artists have been in this area over the years. And mm. I'm one, I came in as a youngster and, and I'm going out as an old fart. Wow. So you never <laughs> left. You always stayed in Pasadena. Well, I've been here since 73. So, so you never yeah. left. <laughs> Basically, I, I, I'm a long hauler. Nice. And, and what I like about the whole Pasadena connection is that their first single was actually called uh, uh, The Immediate Family of Leland's new band is called Fair Warning. So Van Halen reference. There you Absolute, go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Was, well, was it a Van Halen reference or is it just sort of, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> it's a little of everything. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if I can get rid of this weird background here. No, you look good. You look like you're, you look like God, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, you know how much responsibility that is that I really don't <laughs> want to take on. Um, it, it's like Carlos Vega and I. Every time back in the days with James Taylor, we would walk off stage, man, just play a great show, and we'd look at each other as we got on the bus and go from God to cod. <laughs> So yeah, everybody's basking in the show and everything, and we're sitting there going, "What do you want to watch on TV? We got some VHSs here. So mm-hmm. Back in those days, probably Betamaxes. You know, it's jeez. Like, what were you yeah. watching? Gilligan's Island and uh, Three's Company, oh, if, or if, if, if we were lucky, if we were lucky, we would get something like that. But uh, nice. oh, we I love think you. one of the greatest gifts to touring was when they finally got internet on buses. Yeah, yeah. No, really, no kidding. It was a lifesaver because I'm. I hardly ever sleep on a bus. So, you know, when everybody else would be sawing logs, at least at this point, I can be sitting up and, uh, you know, perusing the Internet and causing all kinds of grief for the guys when they wake up and find out things I've posted about them. (laughs) You see, it's always best to post that stuff at night when they uh, at least it can live online for eight hours before they say, take it down. absolutely absolutely it's like they get what they pay for kind of moment do you still like the uh do you still like the bus life or are you just kind of like um it kind of depends on the tour Mm. um you know sometimes it 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 can be really grueling like when we're doing lyle lovett we've got 16 guys out on the road um Mm. on two buses so it, it gets a a, a little bit funky in there, dare I say. And those are usually summer tours where we have to wear suits and we sometimes do like 15 shows in a row. So you Ooh. can't get any dry cleaning done or anything. So the bus can get kind of ripe. Ouch. <laughs> Damn. Not, but, no, I love it. I love that's, it. No. That's not yeah. good living. So uh, before we get into to the, the immediate family and the, and the new record. Uh-huh. Your name first came to my attention back in 1985 because at that time, No Jacket Required was essential listening. I mean, I just, that album is perfection. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's just great. Uh, And now, of course, you do the YouTube thing. Um, Let me just quickly ask you about No Jacket Required. And, and, you know, I've seen Phil Collins with the new Genesis reunion and, it, it sort of brings a tear to my eye. I mean, he's out mm-hmm. there and he's singing, but he's in the wheelchair. And 
And, you know, he was one of my heroes back in the day. Just, yeah. just quickly talk to me about Phil, uh, the fact that he's out there doing it, which I love, because he, he, he's not feeling sorry for himself. He's not sleeping in bed all day. He's, he's, he's going to go do it. And I yeah. love that. Yeah. Uh, just talk to me about, about working with Phil, and then we'll talk about the immediate family. Okay. Um, I, the first time I worked with Phil was actually on a Lee Rittenauer record, where Lee called both of us to play on, on, on one or two tracks on this album. And I was aware of Phil from, uh, from Genesis and Brand mm. X. I knew who he was, and he knew me through my... This was probably around 1981 or something like that. Mm. And uh, we, we hit it off immediately, and he asked me if I would do his, his album and tour, which was going to be, um, uh, what the hell was the name of the first thing he did? Um, geez, I'm just, was it face value? Yeah. Face, sorry. Face yeah. value. Yeah. yeah. I haven't thought about that. And, and I said that <laughs> at that point I was committed to James Taylor at that point and our mm. schedules wouldn't line up, but I said, man, I would love to work with you more. So, you know, let's try next time. And, he called me in 1984 and asked me to come to London and do the No Jacket Required tour. Mm. Um, and, and a whole bunch of things lined up then. I remember we were staying at the Royal Garden Hotel in Kensington. And the first morning, I uh, we were cutting. Um, studio was a ways from there, but we were staying in this hotel. And I, I get on the elevator. I got my gig bag go down one floor. This guy gets in the elevator with his gig bag and we look at each other and I go, oh, Hi, what are you doing in town? He goes, well, I'm here working with Phil Collins. He said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm here working with Phil Collins. <laughs> and he goes, well, hi, and my name's Daryl. And I go, hi, my name's Lee. And I go, so where are you from? He goes, Milwaukee. And I, he goes, where are you from? I go, Milwaukee. Because I was born in Milwaukee. I mean, it was like the weirdest connection. <laughs> what? Uh, and, and, and Townhouse Studios was a couple of miles away. Mm. And we ended up walking to the studio every day uh, to work. And uh, and I, it was to me thrilling when when we got in that album. To me, is such a wonderful album, and and the thing that was interesting is like you know people that that Phil Collins drum sound and all that you would think like the room where they were recording was this big cavernous room. Yeah. It was this little tiny ass room with some stone one stone wall in it. There was a couple <laughs> of road cases in there. Mm. Um, so much of it was really the the, the genius of Hugh Padgham engineering. Mm that that right. made that happen and and the thing that was interesting was uh when we hit the road to the following year we cut it in 84 and then the no jacket tour was in 85 right um when it started phil was still just the drummer from genesis i mean he didn't have a high profile mm. and all of True. a sudden the studio came out and next thing you know, you could not go into a supermarket or an elevator or anywhere without hearing Susudio playing. Yeah. And I remember David Frank, that the original track on the album is all synths. There's hardly anybody involved in that. He he programmed all these synths. And this was back kind of analog synth days. And uh, And I remember the first time we sat and listened to it, I just looked at Phil and I said, you really painted us into a corner. You know, how are we going to reproduce this live? And, yeah. uh, and we ended up working it out and, and doing it live. And and it's been a staple of his touring ever since. But uh, but the tour took a complete 180 once that record came out, because it was not going to be that big of a tour. Mm. And all of a sudden, it, 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 we we went from like theaters to arenas overnight. 
Yep. And um, wow. And uh, and he became, you know, he became uh, both the darling of the industry and the target of the industry because still a, still a darling to me. I got it. And, and well, by, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, and, and but why and did he, they become a target, though? He became a target to the um, to the press primarily. Uh, mm. Because the press generally despised anybody that becomes successful, they want Correct. to look at the dark side. So they they would mm. they would say, "Oh, he's the Cabbage Patch Kid of rock," and wow. uh, and, and they would denigrate things. And, and we would and Phil is the kind of guy that would read reviews. And mm. and I would be so pissed off. I go, "Look at, we played for twenty thousand people last night. They were going crazy. We could still be playing today if they had their way." Yet this guy writes a, a rag review and you think the show didn't wasn't good. I said, the review is the audience. It's not the reviewer because they yeah. probably got in free half the time. They've got songs wrong that they're, they're saying what the set list was and mm -hmm. they really didn't stay. So they don't know what it is. So so that's been an issue forever where at this point now he's like he's fragile and he's one of the elder statesmen. Mm -hmm. of, of rock so th th they're being far kinder to him but, right um, yeah but, but you know, no. uh, let me just say this leland uh, yeah. in in terms of reviews okay there was, there was a show in montreal years ago and i used to work all the shows and uh it was a dio and motorhead and somebody else and uh -huh. the reviewer was downstairs in the press gallery next to me eating a hot dog and having all kinds of stuff going on while the band the opening band was playing and in the gazette the next day it said Queensryche were horrible they were terrible they sucked it was loud it was cacophonous and it was like right except the band that played first was called entombed not Queensryche you might have known that had you been actually in the venue and not backstage. And he wrote yeah. like a whole thing. I was just like, oh my God. So Hi, yeah. Journalists. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't. We did, when we did the James Taylor, Carol King Troubadour reunion tour, um, we played the Hollywood Bowl and the review was one of the most scathing reviews I've ever been Red. seen. Where they were <laughs> saying, these people are way too old to be doing this. And there was such an outcry of people that read that review that were at the show who all were saying, this is the best show we've ever seen and stuff. And mm -hmm. they, 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 they really wanted to get the, whoever wrote the review fired at that oh, wow. point because they said, it's obvious they were not at the show and, uh, and everything they said was bullshit. Yeah. So, but, but to get back to Phil. So Phil's been a remarkable artist to work with all these decades. And mm -hmm. uh, when we did the, um, first final farewell tour in 2004 we really thought that was going to be the end of it so we were all kind of surprised when he called a couple of years ago and we did the not dead yet tour mm. um, but because he's been through he had a, some really bad surgeries yep. um, that that damaged his um his leg and his hands for playing i mean he can't really hold sticks anymore his yeah. mind can play drums but his body can't play drums and and the beauty of these of that tour and now the genesis tour is the fact that his son nicholas is the drummer yeah. and, the, mm -hmm. and nick is if there was ever a gene transference uh from father to son it's there because mm -hmm. nick was a badass drummer when he was four years old right it's mm -hmm. not like he got this gig because daddy's phil collins he got it because he earned it and wow. uh, and, and the videos i'm seeing of the genesis tour that's going on right now he is absolutely killing it 
Yeah. And on the uh, not dead, no, not dead yet tour, which I saw in Montreal, it was one of the greatest nights of show I've ever seen. And I've seen over a thousand shows. It was just spot on. And people went, Oh, but he's sitting down. And I went, I don't give a, f he yeah. was great. Yeah. And that show was great. And his yeah, son was great. Yeah. He's sitting because he has, you know, he's got this drop foot condition. So, right. I mean, it's really hard mm. for him to be stable standing. So, I mean, he would stand like for in the air, you yeah. know, do a couple of moments. Right. And, but, you know, he's sitting on chair, but the people are hearing the songs they want to hear. That's it. At that point. And he's still singing credibly. It's not young Phil. It's not the, the the guy who, you know, if they're going to go there expecting to see the guy running around the stage like he was in the 80s and 90s and mm. and all that, then they shouldn't have, you know, bought tickets to it. But the fact that he's giving them the best show he, he can possibly muster up, um, mm -hmm. both visually puts the best band together that, that he can. The production is is you know as good as it gets spot on and, spot and, on and, and his heart is there and so you yeah. know it was it was it's it's great and i'm really great to see um like i was just uh facetiming with daryl Sturmer yesterday they're in leeds now i think they're playing tonight yeah. they had a day off yesterday but we're talking about it and he said man the crowds have been just great that they're they're so just loving the fact that number one they're getting to see mike and tony too I mean, Genesis means mm -hmm. a great deal to to people, and both of those guys are still quite ambulatory and in and in great shape. So it, it it breaks my heart to see Phil sitting, only because I've been with him since he was a human dynamo, like a whirling dervish, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, Tasmanian devil, and and he also <laughs> was probably one of the is. As I look at my career, one of the greatest gifts I've had okay. is to play with the greatest musicians in the world, and. It, when it comes to the drummer's seat, he's way up there. I mean, a lot of people don't give him the credit mm -hmm. um, as a drummer that he really deserves. But if you go back and listen to Brand X and uh, stuff like that, the, the guy is, is a fantastic drummer. And uh, I, I missed that uh, yeah. with him when we were out. Is I miss his drumming. But Nick is a real boy. I'll tell you, the baton was passed and they're winning the race. Let me ask you a question, music-wise. No, no, sorry, I'm through. I'm through. No, I'm I get you. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, talking about, you know, No Jacket Required and then around that yeah. mid-80s time frame where the, you know, the 808, 909 are coming on. You got the Lindrum, Oberheim's putting out the Fairlight and all these things. It's like, as a musician, did that scare you? No, uh, it's another tool in the toolbox. Mm. You know, I mean, to me, a Lind machine or, or any of those things, they're... In my mind, they weren't there to replace any anything. They were there to to, to be another tool, an, another thing. Because yeah. I, I did a lot of stuff where they had programmed drums. Yet we would have like Carlos Vega would be playing drums along yeah. with like like you know some sequence stuff that they had done. I think the only thing that really bothered me when all of that stuff kind of came into being was that was really when you started gritting the songs out. When mm. you really were starting to become slightly more mechanical um, mm -hmm. because certainly all the stuff we did throughout the late 60s 70s and all that was all strictly feel there was no click it was all tracks. real yeah it was all real going on and most of the players were so good that you could probably start a click track at the start of a tune shut it off and then turn it on at the end odds are it was probably pretty much there mm -hmm. you were working with guys like russ kunkel and 
um, you know, the, the, the Jeff Picaros and Jim Keltner's and all yeah. these guys. Locked um, in. But, you, know, I, you know, I mean, a lot of people got hurt by that stuff. And a lot of that really started happening, I think, because producers were suddenly being given the budget for the album themselves. And mm. they found it easier to program some stuff instead of hiring a bunch of people. They hired like one guy to do programming and mm -hmm. then pocket the rest of the money themselves. Right. So a guy was, like Mott Lang can come in and bring his Fairlight and program all the bass instead of hiring a session guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, wow. but you know, the thing for me that I've always really tried to do, it, it's kind of like uh, there's the term diversify. And I've always tried to do that in my career. If, you know, when things slow down in the studio, um, then I'd hit the road, you know, with somebody and we'd be out on tour and then you come back and yeah. jump back in. And, and, and I treated it uh, where a lot of guys make the mistake of it, I treated it as a profession, which is what it is. So yeah. when I knew I, when I knew I was going to be going on the road, I would contact like producers that I normally work with and say, "Look, I'm leaving town at this point, and then I'll be back at this point." And sometimes they would bump a project up so that I could do it with them, or they would hold off until I got back, and I would start calling them like two weeks or so before the end of the tour to remind them when I'm getting back. Where mm -hmm. some guys would just go on the road and never tell anybody and they'd just be gone and other people would get the calls then and suddenly they're wondering why they're not getting called. But you right. have to you treat everybody with respect and mm -hmm. uh, and, and it can all work. Yeah. And I mean, you know, at the end of the day, like everybody says, it's always about the hang 90% of the time. If you're good at your instrument, it's even better. But, you know, yeah. if you're going to go and, you know, screw people over without even telling them you're out of town or it, then you get upset when you're not getting called, well, it's your own fault. Yeah, it really is, you know, but, but, you know, a lot of people just don't get it. I mean, that's the kind of stuff when I would do clinics, I would talk about things like that rather mm -hmm. than a mixolydian scale or something. I mean, yeah. like, you, know, you guys can <laughs> all play, but here's, you know, like if it's a 10 a.m. downbeat, you're not pulling in the parking lot at 10 in the morning. You've been sitting in your seat since 930. You're tuned. If there's charts, you've looked through them to see if there's anything to go over before you start working. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, there's an etiquette to this that, that never gets taught in schools or anything like that. That is, I think the almost more important if you've got your chops up, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I feel like that, that, that kind of goes with any job you want to show prepared. Yeah. 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 You know, like me, I started my radio show at seven o'clock. I'm not rolling in at six 59 with nothing to say at seven. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. You, you treat it as, as, as you, with pride, number one, this is your name is on it. So you want to, to have it reflect the best of what you can do and whatever it takes to, to be, be prepared um, is, is really important to me. And uh, a lot of people don't get that, but they, you know, they're, the longevity of their careers has shown that because mm. they didn't have it. <laughs> well, a lot of people look at it as the music hobby, not the music business. Yeah, yeah. that's so. always the case. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. That's really interesting to hear your perspective on the whole digital versus, you know, actual musicians playing in the age because it really did change the scene. And even today, you listen to today's pop top 40 radio and it's like, man, everything's just programmed. Nobody even knows like what how to do a scale anymore. You got these EDM producers programming, tracking up their bass lines and all this stuff. And it's like that yeah. organicness and the real musicianship is just gone. Well, it's not gone, but you have to dig deeper for it. There's some amazing artists out there, and there's really great music being made. But the, the, it, there's a, a, a kind of the thing that bothered me so much about when this became 
sort of this digital computer world is it really allowed people into this business who really shouldn't be in it because mm -hmm. there's so many things you can do to, to fix your inadequacies where back when we were starting, man, that red light came on, your ass was on the line. You played, you, you performed. And, uh, and now, you know, there's always that old joke, we'll fix it in the mix. Well, there's an element of that. If somebody can't sing in tune, they'll hire another engineer to sit for two weeks, pitch correcting the vocals and, you know, quantizing a bad drummer and, Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's just sort of sad. I get called sometimes uh, to go in and replace bass parts on albums where, you know, the people have, they've, they've signed a band because they looked a certain way or whatever. Right. But then when it, when it came down to mixing their album, they could, I get a call going, well, can you actually come in and learn all these parts, but play them right? And you're not <laughs> going to get album credit. We'll just pay you. And I said, fine, you know, gigs a gig. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. And, you know, there's so many bands, like even still to this day, I mean, like late 90s, you had all the you had the Backstreet Boys. It was all Max Martin. Today, you've got the BTS and it's uh, Jenna Andrews in a studio writing it. You know, it's like <laughs> and then you yeah, got to get the, the, the K-pop and all, all these yeah. things that are going on. I mean, there's a there's a to me, it's always kind of one of those things when you want to talk about music in the music industry. There's almost an oxymoron involved <laughs> when you're talking music and you're talking the business side of it, because the business side can have very little to do with real music. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's where all the money is in it. The, you know, so it's, you know, I, I the, the main thing for me is in kind of, I, I, I say this a, a lot because I don't, because I'm old and I don't remember, I've already said it before, but, you know, <laughs> but I just, you don't want to become an old fart. Uh, I'm a realist yeah. about the business and, and the trends that it's gone through. Yeah. And, and I love working. So, you know, I get calls and right. most of the stuff I play, play to, you know, I'm, it's going to have a click track or some kind of sequence thing. And, and it is what it is. I, I, what, I, what my job then becomes is trying to make it feel as unprogrammed as possible by having a part that kind of just gives it a little bit of schmutz. On yep. it. A little bit of grit on there. And you don't want to be one of those old salty bastards that used to be in the biz and they're on Facebook now just moaning about it. Oh, yeah. No, you, <laughs> you, you don't want to be grandpa talking about in my day. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's why like when I'm in the studio, if I'm working with a young group and I still work with a lot of artists that are like in their late teens and 20s. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't want to sit there and talk about analog versus digital. Because uh, they've never heard analog. They have no so, clue. Yeah. So you said, but if they ask me about it, mm -hmm. then I'm really happy to talk to them and run by the, all the, and just to, you know, give them some sense of history yeah. of where all this comes from. Because a lot of people, you meet record, record executives at this point that don't know anything that ever happened be, be, before 2010. Mm-hmm. You know, so you yeah. know, they have no perspective. You talk the Beatles or anything, boy, you sound like you may as well be talking about Bo Mozart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, BTS is today's Salieri. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, talking about pre-2010, we're going to be celebrating Leo Sayer later this week. We're going to be chatting with him. Yes. And, of course, you got to work with Leo. Can you, can you share some memories of being with Leo back in the day in the studio and all those great records? Well, I, I did one album, as, as far as I remember, with Leo, and I think we did it with Richard Perry producing at Richard's mm -hmm. studio, which was um, a Studio 55 or something like that. It was right next to Paramount Records. I always remember studios by the proximity of a good restaurant, and nice. there was a place called Greenblatt's 
Mm. Uh, or Nicodel, Nicodel's that was like two doors down that had the best chopped salad I ever had in my life. And that's nice memories of sessions. Uh, <laughs> I always in, in at that time we were doing we were doing Leo, we were doing the Pointer Sisters and different people at the at that studio. And I just found Leo to be such an engaging guy to hang with. He was really nice. He had really good songs and he had that really beautiful voice. So mm. um, I don't remember specific moments. If I looked at the album and saw who was on the dates, that might kind of rekindle um, some thoughts, but somebody they're doing a big uh, kind of a, a, a honoring like the 40th or something anniversary of the album that we did. And mm -hmm. somebody just contacted me about it, being interviewed for it. But I really liked Leo and the cover was just great on that album with him kind of up in the air, you know, his big fro and you know, yeah. just jumping through the air. And I think he's living in Australia. Yeah, he is in Australia. We have to do the interview at like nine in the morning or something like that, yeah. which is like 12 hours later or something his time. 16, or 16 hours. Yeah, because when I, I I featured him on one of the one of my YouTube shows, and he contacted me and said, "Oh, I saw mm -hmm. him, man. It was so great." Now, next time you're in Australia, we got to get together and stuff. Yeah, you know the I, thing I've liked about this this business. One of the best parts of it has been that, as much as it's a business, there are so many artists that I worked with over the years that we've maintained friendships mm -hmm. that that have kind of transcended that it was a gig where there's people I've, I've worked with, you know, like with the immediate family, these are people I've been with over 50 years, yep. yet we still feel as fresh together as ever. We're all still really good friends. And uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I don't know if there's that many opportunities in this world to have those kind of relationships. And, uh, you know, and, and I think about all the different people I've worked with over the years. And sometimes you don't see somebody for 10 years or 15 years. And the next time you bump into each other, you're like finishing the conversation you had 15 It's like you just picked ago. up where you left off. And you pick right up. And stuff. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's great, though. I'm, I'm thrilled Leo's doing that with you. Yeah, Leo's, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, yeah. dude's a legend, so, you know. Yeah. yeah. Listen, 1976, I was around. You weren't, Jeremy. He dominated. Nope. It, was, it was him, Peter Frampton, and maybe Olivia Newton-John. They dominated 76. Yeah. I mean, you, you couldn't get around him, so... See, uh, the, to me, as I've worked with all of them, mm -hmm. so you know, I mean, they're all like amazing people. Frampton's still one of the best guitar players, and and he's, I love his singing. And Olivia was absolutely one of the the nicest gals to be in the studio with. Mm. So it's so it's, a, yeah. it's an amazing community. Yeah, it, it really is. Let me just let me uh, we we have to wrap up in a second here. But your uh, the self titled album, The Immediate Family, actually came out on my birthday. So thank you for the Happy present. Birthday. Thank you. It was a great album that came out in, in August. Um, was it a little bit different going from the section to the immediate family and putting yourself out there and not being the guys in the shadows? Was it just fun to sort of be, hey, let's 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 be on the forefront here? Um, yeah, it was slightly unintentional because it's the section and the immediate family are quite different um, musically. Right. I mean, having vocals and and and, and different, it not you know, kind of rock fusion, but. Um, the way we came together was Danny Korchmar got offered a record deal with Vivid Records in Japan to do a solo record. And he called uh, he called my, myself and Russ Kunkel to see mm -hmm. if we were around to do his album with him. He didn't think we were going to be because it was a time when normally everybody would be on the road. But um, he uh, 
we got in the studio. He had met Steve Postel when he moved back here and they had been doing some pre-production. And then it turns out that Waddy was on the road with Stevie Nicks, but um, he got back for the last day of it. When we finished the album, when he submitted it, the Japanese wanted to know what to call it. And it was going to be Danny Korchmar. But he, he said, these guys are my immediate family. So let's just call it Danny Korchmar and the immediate family. Then we toured Japan and everything came back and signed with Quarto Valley Records and, uh, and ended up signing as the immediate family. We mm. finished this album before uh, COVID hit. Um, and we've been sitting on it. It was supposed to be out in November of last year, but it just seemed like that would be totally throwing it away. Mm. Um, so it just came out and uh, we're getting ready to hit the road in um, November. And in the interim, we've gone back in the studio and we're pretty much finished with another album, which will come out next year. And, uh, and Denny Tedesco is in the process of editing the documentary movie they're making about us. And he's the one who did the Wrecking Crew movie. So there's lots going on with it. And, and, but the thing for me that's the greatest part of this whole thing is, man, when we play, I just look around and these are guys I've been with for half a century. Yeah. And they're really, calling it the immediate family was really uh, the, the perfect thing because- I'm like, Totally, it's special. Russ, yeah, today's Russ Kunkel's birthday. I just wrote to Russ. I just got off the phone with Cooch talking about something else that we're going to do. And I talk to Waddy all the time and Steve. We have a, you know, when you hear about groups like the Eagles and CSN and the Everly Brothers, all these guys who couldn't stand each other, you know, they just, it was a gig. And we just love hanging out together. We've never had fights or arguments and the music just gets better all the time. And to be not, not, you know, I love working with our other artists, but to actually have the buck stop with us, like we're making the decisions and, and it's the band that's, that is the artist now. Yeah. It's great. It's wonderful. Yet I still love working with other people. So we're having the best of both worlds. Well, that's awesome. And you know what? You're still having fun, which really is the, the best part of the end of the day. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Hey, real quick. Do you have the Frankenstein yeah. base there with you? <laughs> if you'll get, wait one sec, I'll go grab it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, just, Mitch, of just, course, um, of course, you know about the Frankenstein base, right? Of course. But yeah. the, the great thing, though, is, is his YouTube channel. And he's not here to hear this, but that YouTube channel mm-hmm. is just so yeah. much fun. It's just... It's just great and educational and, oh, we got a dog that's getting there. Dog's barking. He, he knows the Frankenstein base is coming. That's why. Oh, look at, there it is. Wow. Oh, oh, wait, it's blurred. It's blurred. See, it's like looking at porn. It's blurred out. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> it's base porn. It's, there it's you the go. virtual background there. It's like completely. Oh, look at that. There you go. Take a screenshot of that. Don't do this. This shouldn't be doing this. Uh, it's well, it's doing it because background. of the, ba- it's the virtual background that, 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 yeah. yeah, hold on. Let me see if I can get rid of this background here. <laughs> sorry, I know you guys. That's, that's the iconic base, Mitch. I mean, jeez. Yeah. Okay, hold on one sec. Dark, light, skin tones, more settings. Go to, uh, yeah, go to uh, preferences and go to background. And you just that's where I'm pulling it up. Background and filters. Yeah, just I'm hit it off. Or done. Yeah, there you go. Look at that. Boom. Nice, we can see. Oh, oh look, look at, that. at that. So what... what yeah, you know, and it's oh, geez. so it's signed by like everybody that you've worked with, or it's like not everybody, but it's like right. It's hard to see it on here. Yeah, but like right in here, George Lucas wrote "May the Force Be With You," and oh. then then Peter Max put this little 
It's hard to. Oh yeah, okay. I can. I can see it now. Saturn, right there. Peter Max, yeah. the artist Peter Max, put it. But I've got like Rocky Blyer and Lynn Swan from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Nice. That was the team yeah, like back then. Merle Haggard, right here. Merle. Wow. Um, what it is is this base was never a real base. This was a, a precision base neck that I somehow got my hands on back in the early '70s. The body is from the company called Charvel. Mm-hmm. And this was originally a precision base body. So the pickup would have been underneath this cover. Right. What we did was we ended up putting two sets of precision base pickups where jazz base pickups would have gone, but we reversed their position. This one, I'm trying to doing this all backwards. This would have been, this would have been here and that right. would have been the reverse there. So we reversed them because I figured by the nature of the gauge of the strings to put the, the lower strings closer to the bridge would bring more clarity. And these are the very first EMGs Rob made when he started EMG. Wow. Um, this is like the first prototype hip shot detuner oh, on right. here to drop the E string to a D and then back yeah. up. And uh, so this was really, I call it, and it's a misnomer to call it Frankenstein because Frankenstein mm-hmm. was the doctor and the monster was the monster. Right. But I kind of just call it that because this was really like lots of pieces that we put together yeah make a base this is the first base i ever put mandolin frets on and mm. immediately fell in love with it and every base i have has mandolin frets on them wow um, so it's this is we built this with john carruthers uh here in town who was the repair guy at westwood music which was the la watering hole for most most of the players mm-hmm. we built this around 74 i guess so this has been on 90 percent of everything i've recorded since 74 Wow. Um, and I had a 62 jazz bass that I carved up. I call peace love because it's got peace signs and all this shit on it. Um, and that's what <laughs> I used on the early James stuff. I used that on Dr. My Eyes and on Billy Cobham's Spectrum and things like that. So, all of that. So you built yeah, it in the 19th. I don't, 19th, have, a of, I don't have a lot of instruments. I just have yeah. what I use. Well, you know what? To be fair, once you find what you like, I mean, why use anything else? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you built that. In Tell that to Rick Nielsen of Cheap Trick. Oh well, yeah. At least he put all of his into one body. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's got like yeah, it's the five five guitars in one. Yeah, yeah. I love Rick, man. What a, what a trip. That's awesome. The greatest. Well, Lee, this was so great to meet you, uh, man. Make sure you go pick up this brand new and subscribe to his YouTube channel because uh, the videos the up there YouTube are YouTube channel ridiculous. Is the greatest thing. It's I just yeah. put up. My, I think today was my seven hundred and seven fourteen. Is seven fourteen? Yeah, I just I did I I did Billy Thorpe yesterday. Oh, that was um, yesterday. Yeah, we had done Children of the Sun, and I was as I was perusing through, I found an Australian TV show of This Is Your Life, Billy Thorpe, where they had him on. So I thought the hell with music yeah. today. Seven fifteen. It was put up six seconds ago. Okay, great, great. <laughs> and then, and I, I'm your first view. Look at that. Boom! I just clicked it. First view. No views yet. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that's that's great is like watching that one of the people who came on the show to wish him the best was uh, an Australian artist named Tina Arena. Mm-hmm. And I just went back and looked and I went, oh, I worked with her and I just pulled up. So I'm going to do te- the stuff I did with Tina Arena tomorrow. But oh. I, ha- I haven't missed a day since uh, March 23rd of last year. Oh, keep, nice. it coming. Yeah. keep it coming. It's such yeah. a great channel. And and, you know, other than seeing your name on that film, no, no jacket required that youtube is just so engaging you, you you just sit there and you go this is great it's 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 
humorous it's educational it's it's just it's a fun watch and i'm really glad you're you're enjoying it for me it, it was an accident that the thing even started um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what your time is like if, if you guys have to sign off or not oh yeah we actually have to we do have to wrap but we should do this again we should yeah i'm, I'm the, happy the, to do it anytime you want to talk there's lots of things to tell you about yeah yeah the, the problem is that we have another interview that's we're yeah. five minutes late too, but uh, the immediate family, the immediate family is out or came out on August 27th. It was a, a birthday present to myself. Happy birthday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank All you right. so much. And uh, Leland, yes, let's please do this again because uh, half an hour was criminal in terms of time. Uh, check with Lisa, Roy, yep. uh, my favorite, and we will uh, set up another time and, and, and yak. I would Absolutely. Merci so, bien. All right. Thanks. Thank See you. you later. Cheers. Okay. Take care, guys.